Hey, Green Future Growers! Welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Anyway, this is the part of the show we call Getting to the Root of Things. So, do you guys each have a least favorite activity that you got to kind of force yourself to go do in the garden? I think... There are times of the year where we just get overwhelmed with uh, all the other parts of our life, like the kids going back to school after being remote for a year. So um, where you're just totally super busy, but you know that you should be doing all this activity in the garden, cleaning up, and you, you get backlogged. So then, uh, yeah, I find that... Uh, when you have to do these maintenance activities and you get backlogged on the maintenance, like the, the growing, I don't mind, uh, but the, you know, like the pruning and the, yes, I can totally something. Is there anything that you, that you find onerous? I think it definitely everything for me. I think, oh, what happens is I think in the summer, the, the influx of produce, then I don't have a dehydrator. So I've been using my oven and not everything got dehydrated the right way. So some of them got a little, some of my herbs got a little more burnt. When all the influx of produce comes in, that's where I get a little scared and I'm trying to find, I should be thinking now of ways to, to extend the harvest, you know, make sure that I have my mason jars and, um, know my my recipes so i'm trying and they were hard to come by last year it's, i think because there's been such a growth in gardening like yeah. jars. and mostly in our town it was the lids like ever like all of a sudden i was glad that i had bought some early in the year just in anticipation and um and uh when mike started pickling and things uh there was definitely a shortage of lids like you had to buy the whole jar lid kit if you wanted any lids because there were like no lids and rings to be found anywhere wow um so on the flip side what's your favorite activity to do in the garden you want to go first (laughs) i like starting the seeds i like harvesting and i like making things pretty even though I, you know, I always try, even though it doesn't end up pretty at the end of the season, come October, <laughs> all your, but in the springtime, I like um, trying to make sure that things are pruned and prettified. And that's my marketing. Cause then when people who don't understand like the HOA that always cites us every year for unruly, unsightly, <laughs> unsightly garden, this is the marketing like if how can I show that you can have an edible garden space be pretty I know it's been done in other places so I'm constantly learning and that for me even though I'm not good at it yet I really like the challenge I enjoy the challenge of trying to make things pretty inside the house and in the in the yards as well I just I like I love that oh sorry I I like uh whenever I've tried an experiment I, I'm kind of a, a gourmet I like eating different flavors and things like that so when you grow something fresh and it and it tastes as you you kind of expect that it would taste then that's I, that can be really mm. uh, 
fulfilling. For example, I grew this, I tried different broccolis and there was this one, it's kind of a Chinese broccoli called Fadia. And it would have been marketed as that it produced a stalk that was kind of asparagus like, and it actually turned out very well. Oh. The leaves weren't, the leaves were okay, but the, the stalk was actually, I found even better than asparagus. Um, and that was, you know, you just gobble that stuff up. So I, I love that experience of harvesting stuff and eating it uh, really fresh. I like seeing the patterns in the, the plants and the colors that of different heirloom plants. I like seeing that and observing. So I think everybody should, the garden helps you slow down a bit from the busyness of life. And it's good to, for those of us who have a hard time doing the things in the garden, that the garden becomes an opportunity to slow down and really appreciate that. And then the more you do that sort of meditation, the more as you go back to it, it becomes easier and easier until it's not a chore, until you can't leave the garden anymore and go back into the house because it's too much fun. Well, I love two things about that. I read Jessica Walliser's book. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was all about like all the beneficial bugs and insects. And after I read that, I had like a, a completely different appreciation for all the bugs. I'm like, I couldn't believe how many more bugs I was noticing and just all, all the different, um, I, I just like, like I used to hate earwigs and then I became like, now I'm kind of glad when I see an earwig in the garden because I know it's doing its job and it's helping my soil thrive and my plants thrive. And the other thing was I was listening to somebody talking about meditation and how people are always picturing meditation to be like somebody sitting cross-legged in a, in a room, in a closed room with their hands going ohm. But really that doesn't have to be meditation. I just think your description of being in your garden is you know, a way that people maybe feel like, oh, I should be meditating and oh, I should be doing this. And you can be meditating while you're in your garden. And, and it's true, like a lot of those things that seem so difficult in the beginning almost become like breathing. Like, like I've learned to prune over the year, like since I've had my podcast, you know, like I never knew how to prune things. And now I just like, I, I'll be sitting in the garden and like, I can't even sit there without like going in like you know clipping that dead branch or that dead leaf or that you know deadheading that flower and and it just makes you you um like you were saying like where you just want to be in there all the time so those are great answers how about what's the best gardening advice you guys have ever received i think the the soil is one of the big things that's where we started yeah. is that before i knew uh all the stuff that i know now as i i tried all kinds of seeds and and the things would still die. So I, I think before you worry about pests and what are you going to do with the things once you've harvested it, it the, the place to initially start is to look at um, increasing the organic content of your soil because it's not really the soil that grows that the I'm totally nodding. It's, <laughs> it's the, it's the, that microbial life. It's the ecology of the soil. So if you have a thriving community of organisms that are living in your soil, they're doing all of that sequestering of the minerals and the, 
the elements that the plants need and then they have the relationships with the the plants where they they kind of do this bartering and say here i'll give you some nutrition and you give us some some starches and sugars and i that for me was one of the initially the most fast uh, i think it was something about micro so it's jeff lawton he's yeah. a permaculturalist and he says teaming with microbes oh the book is called the teaming. book with okay teaming with, teaming with microbes, microbes. Yeah. That, that's totally a, a good look into how important the life in the soil is jeff lawton likes to say we don't feed the soil we feed the life in the soil and i think with that in mind when you have that perspective that we're feeding the life in this these actually creatures that i need to take care of because they're taking care of the rest of the stuff that i can't even see or understand um the the my, mycorrhizal fungi for instance which is the beneficial fungi for plants is also often called the internet of the soil and it it sends messages far across you know your garden to the next one side of the garden to the other and saying this plant needs such and such minerals you know, send it over here and uh when we when we till too much you know and we cut off these we don't understand that the soil has already a good balance or if it's imbalanced you know how to cultivate bring back that balance just like your gut is like the soil it's bringing back that microbiome of of good beneficial bacteria to bring bring back the life i think that's that's the best advice i've we've been given and that's why we try to we love learning more and more about soil science as the years go by for sure um no wait did jeff lawton write teaming with microbes no I he did that. he did it. jeff, it's <laughs> jeff lowenfels right yeah. yes jeff lowenfels did it Sorry. Nikki was, just, Nikki I was, was just trying to segue from, she wanted to Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking like, what is the best advice? I guess that's the best advice, yeah. the Jeff Lawton advice, but, but the book Teaming with Microbes by Jeff Lawton's That, that yeah, was for, inspirational for me because I didn't, up until now, uh, I mean, up until that point, I thought soil science must have been the one of the dullest things you could possibly study. And it was after- right? <laughs> I really yeah I was like why would anybody want to study that that sounds like masochism and then after reading that book and you you read how intricate some of these relationships are uh that for me was really eye-opening you know whose book you guys might like is uh Nicole Masters wrote a book called um uh, is it for the love of soil I think it is I'll put I'll put the link in the show notes but like she has she wrote this book and it, it's like you would never think that you would be interested in soil and yet people read her book over and over and I even um got uh my brother gave me like an audible gift certificate and I bought um the audible version and I've listened to it multiple times like she just writes this she just has this fascinating way of describing um uh soil science that makes you like i am so not a science soil like i would never think i would read that and uh i've loved her book anyway i'm sure you guys are like is jackie ever gonna let us off the show phone so i'm gonna try to no, like not at all. last couple of questions <laughs> um how about a favorite tool what if you had to move and could only take one tool like are you guys, if you guys are thinking of moving, like what tool could you not live without? I mean, 
Well, for me, it's the the, the long pruning shears. <laughs> it's the long pruning shears for you. Yeah. So, uh, friends of ours from Portland, Arutsu Design, they sent a a little mini scythe, like a hand scythe, and they have a mini one and a longer version, and not in not at all as large as the ones that you would commonly see, like. You know, it's half your body Grim size, Reaper. like Grim Reaper, <laughs> that kind of sight. And there's so, um, and at first I was like, this is really dangerous oh, yeah. because the kids, if they get this, so sharp, because <laughs> it's curved and it's serrated. Uh -huh. But um, it is so effective and so much faster as I've been using it. It's really done a really good job of chopping and dropping in the garden using that tool. So I keep it in my tool chest for sure. That would be. That would be one of those things that I wouldn't and my seed seeds, <laughs> but that's not a tool But if we were to move. Yeah, we'd bring all our seeds. You know, I am surprised you are the first person that has said that because that's really true. And like, there's like some, uh, I don't know if it's a book, but like, I'm just picturing, I think it's in farming while black where she talks about the women, like, literally like putting the seeds in their hair um when they were you know traveling so people couldn't take their seeds away so they would always have their food and their and their um uh beans and things there's a book that you guys might like um and your kids might be interested it was a little too like um scientific for me but it's called Fungarium. Welcome to the museum, and it's spelled F-U-N-G-A-R-I-U-M. Oh, this is huge! But have you seen it? I saw the Botanicum. I and I couldn't stop oh. reading it. Like I was in the Barnes and Noble, and I just read the Botanicum. It's oh. from England, right? The museum, like the plant. And then they said that they had another series called Fungarium. Welcome to the museum. So I know I haven't read that specific one, but I'll be on the lookout for that one for sure. Cool. All right. I'll be on the lookout for the botanical. Is that what you said? Yeah, something like botanic. I have to find out. I'll I'll, I'll send it to you, Jackie, after. Oh, I, I see it. I, ha I have it up. I see it up on Amazon. And, and uh, Jackie, to your point, I wanted to go on. Yes, the seeds. So when we talk about when we give this webinar on seed saving, one of the anecdotes that Seed Saver Exchanges um, director of I forget what his position was, but um, I once attended a talk by them and they were talking about all these seed stories that accompanied these seeds that they had collected in their heirloom collection where they get seeds that wouldn't have been stewarded or grown out because the family that that grew them died and they wanted to make sure that it kept on growing so they would send it to Seed Savers Exchange. And one of the stories that Tor Janssen is the name of the person who gave this talk shared was it was not uncommon in the 19th century for an American mom to um, give as a gift on the on the night of the wedding, the, the eve of the wedding of her daughter to give in a in like a chest or a little box a gift of seeds to her daughter. And with that, she would say, um, I know that wherever you go, you can feed yourself, you can feed your family, and you have a little piece of me with you. Oh, I love that. What a sweet tradition. Yeah, so 
it's definitely in our heritage somewhere that we've always been keeping our seeds with us and traveling with them. I love that though, because it's like empowering the the woman in the family mm -hmm. um, to be able to take care of themselves and their family. How about a favorite recipe you like to cook or eat from the garden or your kids love? Oh, we love to eat <laughs> and we love to cook. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I would say the one that we make the most though would be um, we get we, we grow this uh, shard that's almost perennial in our front yard and we can at any point in time we can just go get handfuls of shards so we make quiche with the shard we just use it like a spinach to make a kind of a shard quiche where we stir fry it with uh, onion and maybe about half a pound of shard and then you, you mix that with the with garlic the and yeah and, and eggs and make a great a, a great quiche yeah for me i like the okra recipe of chris smith um given by michael twitty who is a historian on on um he's actually a his, historian on african foods and the recipes for um oh okra bindi masala so it's actually an indian recipe <laughs> okra bindi masala so that one's what i like cool that sounds good and i love that it comes from like a historian mm -hmm. uh type of person and chard is definitely one of my favorite foods but how about you jackie fun. what what do you like to cook in the garden the most well, you know what I cooked a lot this year was I took zucchini and used it for noodles in like everything. I eat tons of zucchini and fresh tomatoes and just with like um, some cheese, like a, either Parmesan or mozzarella or cheddar, any kind of cheese that I had um, and a little bit of breadcrumb and just like made these layered dishes like all summer long. But I made like a lasagna out of zucchini noodles last year that came out it was so good. Like I never had one come out so just like perfect texture and like it wasn't falling apart. It wasn't too watery and just uh that's probably some of my favorite recipes. And I always put chard in with the like the ricotta cheese or the cottage cheese depending on what I'm using. Um like I use chard pretty much like spinach. So I freeze it and um, and then use it because spinach does not grow well here. It tends to, um, it does come up early. If you can get it like planted in the fall, so you get a spring batch or if you get it right away in the spring, but more often than not, by the time it grows, it just bolts super quick. It just doesn't have that um, in our climate. But Swiss chard will grow all summer long and I could just harvest it, a ton of it once it, um, it usually comes up after the beet greens. So I usually have like maybe a little bit of spinach. Then I, the first thing I get are beet greens and then uh, and then lots of Swiss chard. I just made lasagna for New Year's the other day using Swiss chard. Anyway, how about a favorite internet resource? Where do you guys find yourself surfing on the web? You are two of the most like um, educated, like research-based um, people I've talked to. So I... I probably hard to uh oh. pick it down to one <laughs> i i think a lot of the things that we're indebted to so many other people who've taught us 
the VABF, the Virginia Biological Farming Association is one of them. Their conference is, is really top notch and gets a lot of speakers from everywhere around the US. Um, online, where do you go for? We're trying to be the resource and trying to trying to gather all the information and put it in. Um, well, tell us about your website. Yes. So our website, growmyownfood.com, Dave is trying to, we're going to do us kicks. We were trying to do it last year, but we couldn't. So we're going to do it next year, 2023, a Kickstarter um, called Sage. And it's a garden app where. So we, we, yeah. we do a lot of, um, we get a ton of questions from people saying, I just don't know when to start these seeds. So uh, out of that, we had done a bunch of webinars yes. about pl the planting calendar and how you can figure out based off your climate and your zone, when you should be planting certain seeds, we're starting them indoors. And that would, that helped, but then people would get overwhelmed because they want to grow more than a few things. They want to grow, I don't know, 10, 20 things. And then planning all of those things out become, started to become overwhelming. So what I've been working on for a while is just a, an application online to manage holistically that whole process of figuring out these are the things that I want to grow. Uh, so there's the kind of what, then the where, where do you want to plant those things or how many of those things, those plants do I need to grow to get the yields that I want and then tying that in so that it could automatically generate the planting calendar for you, send you alerts and things like that. And then you can track that and, and feed that as a, a cycle where you see how you did and then get recommendations about how you should grow the following year based off what you did previously. Just kind of organizing, acting as a kind of a behind the scenes uh, personal assistant for your garden. That is so awesome. You know, I've seen different calendars and things, but nobody has ever talked about, or I've never seen one that actually collects your own data and spits it out for you for the next year. Because I've had lots of guests talk about, you know, their, their like physical journal that they keep is a, is a great record for them. And like, I know we use ours here, but nobody like has talked about like a computer generated one where you can enter your information and then the next year it's going to give you you know reminders and say um like i'll never forget denny cray talking about he's down in florida if he doesn't get his tomatoes started by valentine's day and yet he's still like you know he knows he should do that and he's got notes that tell him to do that but like finding his notebook and like other things so i think that's an awesome way to um, have an app on your phone that's like not just you know a general but like a specific to your own garden and it's going to build on the data that you're inputting into it genius Steve I love that so how about a favorite book do you guys have a book or a magazine you want to recommend you like Dave Jackie's book I do like Dave Jackie's book what am I currently reading now um, in terms of book um, oh my goodness, I have, I have so many books. So I'm also reading Matt Power's Soil book, but I always go back to Dave Jackie's and uh, Eric Toensmeyer's, what is it called? Forest Gardening for Temperate Climates. They're tomes, they're volume one and two, but they have really good day, um, 
all the list if you if you had a plant a plant in mind for a good for a, a, a sustainable regenerative permaculture garden then they have it in their index and then they have all the information about it the diameter and and how does it grow and what medicinal functions does it have and where would it be in what climate so now i, I have to make sure i know the title so pause editor <laughs> i'm gonna look for it jackie um, cool because i have i have not heard of him although the book sounds familiar yeah i've I'm, I'm um, noticed and you guys remind me of matt powers because you both have like this like enthusiasm and you're interested in teaching children and spreading you know going into the schools and just you know and then broadening your your scope of teaching people and just um yeah matt powers is awesome isn't he yeah he has so much energy so, um, he does right but you yeah. guys have a lot of that energy and you're like on the opposite coast you guys between the two of you are really hitting um a good a good part of the population yeah we, we've had it so it's called edible forest gardening by david jackie and eric tones my edible forest gardens by david jackie and eric tones meyer and there's a volume one volume two um and then the other online resource that i just remembered was seed linked and they're a resource for um when you don't know what seeds will produce what kind of taste or vigor or grows in your climate they just started in the, the last couple of years so their database is just starting but they're partnered with seed savers exchange and so they created if you ever wanted to know for instance i know collards their database of collards is in america is pretty much all set like they have all the different collard varieties that you can grow and if you wanted a beautiful collard or if you wanted one that was more productive or for it, your specific for area. your specific growing zone yes yeah they're trying to so they do these they've been and that's so important they've been collaborating with seed savers to collect all that seed trial data for the different regions because the the founders of that they used to work for the the large seed companies but uh, it for obvious reasons it wasn't very fulfilling and they they have were trying to bring that rigor to the the kind of private growing area for for doing large-scale private seed yeah the rigor trials. of of knowing what grows well and how does it grow and what climate so those kinds of yeah. data that we like specific heirloom varieties but you know the usually that data of how does it taste or did it grow well for you is not captured so he's trying to find a good way to make nico angel bear is trying to find a good way to capture it through seedlink.org that seedlink.org isn't coming up oh, okay maybe i didn't have it's, it right uh, is it just link and not link oh wait huh? seed linked link there seedlinked.com so there oh, it's .com. yes seedlink.com sorry about that that's all right i just want to make sure yes we get the right thing in the show notes and that people can find it mm -hmm. awesome okay my final question and then i'm gonna let you guys get back to your kids and your busy day um if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity organization you're passionate about or project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? 
Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tough one. I, I think we're, we're very passionate about these kind of problems are probably not going to be solved politically. They're going to be solved at the grassroots by everybody kind of coming together and, and uh, changing the system through their personal lifestyle choices uh, to make things more sustainable, to reduce waste. But I'm not, not sure if there's an individual organization that encompasses all of that. It's more like all these different people <laughs> are doing all these kind of different things. Uh, is, there, is there anybody that you could specifically identify? I, I think the, the thing that would make the most impact is if every family knew how to sustain themselves with food. If we get to that level, then naturally um, growing would be incorporated in the school system and you wouldn't, um, growing would be the most, one of the most important things in, you know, when you do is you create government laws. I keep thinking about where I'm watching a documentary with the kids on Singapore and 93% of their food is imported. It's such a high tech uh, country and the way they're trying to grow food, but the way that they do grow it is very unnatural, like in a, in a, in a building with different levels of um, you know, very controlled grown tomatoes without the environment or the, the, the soil, <laughs> without the soil. They're not bringing, nature, yeah. into the they're not bringing nature into the system where you have these collaborators, millions, billions, gajillions of collaborators in the soil, in the air, through the pollinators, in, you know, that the earth is so ready to assist us in, in making this world livable and repairing this world. And we think that we can all solve it in like a, <laughs> a box, a man-made sort of solution without enlisting the help of the rest of the, the environment to do that. So it's going to be a, a holistic, I think the solutions for the next generation are not going to be found well so we're we're a mix right we have we can see how tech can help but they're they're still going to be found be nature based in with all the players of the environment um especially the humans doing their part i have the image always of wally that image when if you're familiar with a movie wally where wally zooms out of earth and he gets through the atmosphere it's, and you can look back through the space junk of all the satellites that are um, <laughs> pushes through that. And then you look back and the earth is all brown and it isn't that beautiful blue ball that we're so used to seeing from the astronauts pictures in the 60s. And that is not, so we I, don't want Wally. <laughs> we don't want that. That image is so embedded in my mind that I don't want that. I want to be and it's so easy to reverse that if we all did our part, but we all have to know that. And so I think the solutions are in the family level that the, the parents, the, the kids- It's local to, to the actual family that they, they uh, integrate themselves more with how they're living on earth, you know, like locally by growing their own food. By, yeah, or at least even just composting their, you know, scraps and not throwing that in the trash. and helping like other gardens grow or growing flowers so that you know the bees are coming to your place for food you know that just 
I, I totally agree with what you guys are saying. Have you seen that movie Finch with Tom Hanks and the robot? Like that's like after we've destroyed the planet. No, no, I haven't <laughs> seen it. Would like that. It's pretty good. Um, anyway, you guys, thank you so much for coming back and sharing with us today and dropping all these golden seeds and tell everybody how they connect with you, how they get to go to GIY, take the GIY course and how they can see some of your webinars and just um, where do they find you? Thanks. So our webinars are always on growmyownfood.com. You'll see our latest webinar on the, the front page of the website, as well as other blogs and resources. Uh, we have a resource of garden tools there that you can you can look through um, and we all do our blogs as well. We do a lot of blogs. So. <laughs> and we're so grateful to you, Jackie, for having us on this show. And if there's anything else that um, you know, we've missed. We are happy to come back as we learn and grow more and talk more about um, organic gardening. So thank you so much for having us. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing everything today. And just, um, I really appreciate all you do and everything you guys that are sharing with everybody else about what you've learned because you have learned a ton and you're putting it into action and just uh, have a great day. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just... Um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden. And just, um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey, uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis, um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy, um, you know, a very special place. And most of all, it's good for mother earth. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.